We're continuing on our uh, series, Questions for God. Tonight we're going to look at the question uh, that a lot of you asked, or a lot of your friends asked, is, uh, the question is, why is there suffering? Why is there suffering? Now, on the 15th of March this year, a single white supremacist entered two mosques in Christchurch, armed with assault rifles, and murdered 51 people. Uh, the whole thing took, space, took place in the space of less than 20 minutes. Lives ended... Families torn apart, a community in tatters, a city in lockdown, and a country in shock. And at the time, like words were inadequate to describe the horror, which I think is why images became so powerful. Uh, images of the Prime Minister, images of um, the community that was devastated. Uh, our vocabulary just was un unable to express our grief and our anger and our sadness. And for us here living in New Zealand, we used to think that this sort of pain and suffering, it happened out there in the big bad world in lands far, far away. Uh, but it kind of tragically shattered our peaceful life here too. Now, when we think about pain and suffering, there's the kind of big ticket items of terrorism and, and earthquakes and famines and natural disasters. Uh, but in this room tonight, there are people who are suffering in their own individual way. Uh, there are people who suffer with chronic pain and illnesses without much hope of it ever getting better. There are people who've lost loved ones, parents, brothers and sisters, children. There are those who've gone through the grief of relationship breakdowns, of, of, of shattered dreams of a happy family, long periods of unemployment, of uh, poverty, of uncertainty as to whether they'll be able to live long term in the country of their choice. There are people who daily do battle with um, all sorts of issues with the, the way their mind works, with depression and anxiety and eating disorders and a whole raft of other internal struggles. And now in this room, we have uh, a bunch of us who are dealing with the, the shattering feelings of betrayal, of being deceived, of realising that people we thought were our friends were actually preying on us. And there are people here wondering if they could ever trust someone again. Suffering is real. And I want to be really clear as I start to answer this question. It's not just a philosophical question. Whatever the pain or the grief or the hurt that you've, you've experienced, that is real. That is real. Whatever has come your way in your past or whatever comes your way in the future, that pain and suffering you experience, it's real. It's real pain. It really hurts. Suffering really does ache. Your grief is really debilitating and it's real. And the Christian message isn't just kind of suck it up, princess, kind of put on a happy face and pretend everything's okay. Yay, Jesus. That's not the Christian message on suffering. It's real. Now, at this point, I'm going to insert a disclaimer. It almost seems like you can't go anywhere without a disclaimer. I saw this disclaimer on the internet before, and I thought it was um, particularly uh, uh, funny. Uh, in case of fire, exit building before tweeting about it. Um, uh, but I'm going to have a disclaimer, and that is on, on this sermon, which is, my disclaimer is, I'm not speaking as an expert on suffering. So I'm not up here to kind of roll out a story of great tragedy in my life that makes you think that I'm more qualified to speak on this than anyone else. Now, I've had a bunch of stuff happen to me in my life. Uh, well, I grew up as a Mormon. Uh, my kid has had cancer. Uh, my parents' marriage broke up. Um, my eldest child took more than a year before he would sleep through the night, so I had a whole year of my life getting woken up every single night, sometimes 
often for multiple hours and multiple times. I support the wallabies. I've experienced (laughs) great grief and suffering in my life. But I don't address this topic as someone who uh, speaks from a particular personal experience that's going to really help you work it out. I'm not going to be leaning on my own wisdom. The best thing I can do is to take us all to the Bible, take us to God's Word and see what God's Word has to say about why is there suffering. Uh, Now, there's a couple of ways that you can kind of come at the question, why is there suffering? Uh, Some people come at the question of why is there suffering and they think think there's a, a philosophical objection to the existence of God because of suffering. And so people look at the world around us and they see brokenness and pain and disasters and fighting and then they look at the Bible and it talks about a, a God who is good and loving and a God who is all-powerful. And then they go, well, if God is good and loving and all-powerful, how come he allows suffering and pain to exist in the world? And so they say that if, 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 if there's pain and suffering in the world, then either God isn't all good, because if he's good, he'd do something about it, or he isn't all-powerful. If he was powerful enough, he would do something about it. And so some people logically say that, okay, well, um, because of pain and suffering, an all-good and all-powerful God can't exist uh, because he would do something about suffering. Uh, That's the logical argument against God about pain and suffering. Uh, But for most of us, logical arguments about pain and suffering, uh, they're not what we find most powerful. Often it's our own experience of pain and suffering that we find so difficult. We cry out to God and we ask, why? why? Why did you take them away? Why do I have to endure this pain? Why have you let me go through such grief and trouble? Why, God, don't you give me what I desperately want, what I desperately need? And we believe that God is loving and we believe that God is powerful, but we, we ask the question, why won't you take the pain away? Why, God, don't you do something? And we find on our lips the words of Psalm 6, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O Lord, how long? And so we might have this logical problem about the existence of God because of pain and suffering. We might have this experiential problem. We don't know why God allows us to continue to endure this pain. Why hasn't God done something to relieve us of our grief and our loneliness? And so what's the answer? Why is there pain and suffering? Well, the answer to both the kind of logical objection and the painful experience is the same. And the answer is this. The answer is God has a good and loving reason for why he allows suffering to continue. God has a good and loving reason for why he allows suffering to continue. For God, there is purpose behind the pain. There is significance to the suffering. And see, if we believe in God, and if we we believe that God is big enough and strong enough and good enough and loving enough to do something about pain and suffering, if we believe in a God that is that big, then it's entirely possible that a God that is that big, that is God that is so much bigger and better and stronger and greater and wiser than us, that he might have a loving reason to allow it to continue that we might not understand. If God is so other, he may have a reason that we can't work out for ourselves. 
But God does reveal the loving reason for why he allows it in his word. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the Bible tonight to see the loving reason why God allows pain and suffering to continue. Uh, but to, be, to start with, we're going to backtrack a bit to just go, where does pain and suffering come from? Where does it come from? Well, we go back to the beginning, uh, to the origin of pain and suffering. Uh, we, we, we go back to the beginning. We, we see in the first chapter of the Bible that God created the world and God created everything in it. If you were here a couple of months ago, you would have heard that many times in Genesis as we did our studies on that. Uh, but when God created the world, it was good. It was perfect. There was no pain. There was no suffering. There were no disasters. You know, they say you can't beat Wellington on a good day, and this afternoon was pretty good. Um, well, you can't beat God's world in the beginning. It doesn't get any better. God's world was perfect in the beginning. And it wasn't just kind of a kind of beautiful, natural environment. It was uh, like the Garden of Eden. The people in the garden were great too. They lived in peace and harmony with each other. They lived in right relationship with God. They let God be God, and they got on with being God's people in God's place. But sadly, that didn't last for very long. In Genesis chapter 3, we see the first humans, they reject God and they rebel against Him. They, they push God out of the picture and they decide to run things their own way. And humanity's rejection of God, it breaks the good order of creation that God had made. And in comes pain and suffering, disaster and calamity into God's good world. And sadly, the consequences of that rejection of God uh, is the broken world that we see today. You see, we humans, we all of us take the good world that God has made and we mess it up. And we mess it up because we refuse to listen to the God who made us. We reject his instructions of how to live well in the world that he has made. Uh, when I was in high school, I was about the age where you start to get, you know, you know, you're thinking about driving and so you start to get out and pump the petrol into the car for your parents at the, at the petrol station. And my older brother was actually doing this at the time. And my older brother thought it'd be funny to kind of prank dad and say, and pretend to put uh, kind of regular unleaded in our diesel Land Cruiser, uh, except he wasn't, like the joke was funny for about three seconds when we realised he actually wasn't pretending, but he actually was pumping uh, unleaded petrol into a diesel car. Now, for some of you, that you know, like it's just blank screensavers, you don't get what's going on there. Um, there's, there's a good reason why the manufacturer has a little sticker there by the fuel tank telling you what sort of petrol to go in the car, because if you put the wrong petrol in your car, it won't work. Uh, if, you, if, you, if you're sitting there at the Bowser and you decide that the manufacturer's instructions is to put diesel in a diesel car, if you look at that and you go, that's just an oppressive rule, I'm going to break that rule, I'm going to set myself free from, from this oppressive manufacturer who's telling me what to do with my life and I'm going to fill this car with milk <laughs> or water or beer or whatever. And, well, you know things are going to get broken very quickly. Things are going to get broken very expensively very quickly. The car will break down. Apparently, if you put the wrong fuel in your car, it will only really go for a couple of kilometres and then it's just dead uh, and very expensive to fix. The car will break down. It's the same for God's creation. If we hear God's instructions of how to live best in, his, in this world and we go, ah, stuff that, I know how to do things my way. We reject God and his word, then things start to break, things start to go wrong. And unfortunately, the rebellion of those first humans is carried on uh, to this very day. It's played out each and every day in our own lives. Each morning as we get up, and we, we just don't give two hoots about God. We don't care what He wants. We don't want to listen to what He says. And as we do that, we continue to walk down this path of rebellion against the God who made us, about, against the God who made the world in which we live. 
running the world and running our lives outside of the manufacturer's instructions. And so when we turn on the TV and we see what's going on in Syria and we go, that's not right, there's a truth to that. When we get the news from the doctor and it's not good and think, this isn't the way that things should be, there's truth to that. This world is not right. Things are messed up. Things aren't the way that they should be. God's good world is broken, and it's broken because we humans have messed it up with our sin as we continue to rebel against the Creator. As we refuse to follow the Creator's instructions, things continue to get worse, and this is where pain and suffering comes from. A loving God created a perfect world, and sinful people like you and me, we have rejected His word, rejected His order, and we have broken it. And so now the ground shakes and the wind blows and cells get cancerous and accidents happen and people fight. That is where pain and suffering comes from. A good world gone bad because of sin. Because we have rejected God. Now a difficult question arises. Is, is my particular pain uh, a punishment for my sin? Um, you know, have I had like... You know, a really crappy week this week because the week before I, I told a lie? Is, it, is that how it works? Is it tit for tat like that? Can we say that natural disasters are God's judgment on a particular place or particular people? You know, there were some crazy people who said that the, you know, the, the tsunamis that uh, happened in 2004 uh, was God's judgment on the, the Muslim world. Uh, can we say things like that? Well, the Bible says we can't. Uh, look here at what Jesus says in Luke 13. Uh, we didn't read it, but the verses are going to come up on the screen or you can look them up in your Bible. Uh, Luke 13, uh, verse 1. Uh, people come to Jesus with this question. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans, because they suffered in this way. Now, you might not really have any idea what's going on there. Let me explain. Uh, there were some people, uh, Galileans, people from Galilee, uh, who had gone to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. And while they were there in the temple, the Roman governor, Pilate, had put them to death. They had been executed there in the temple. And they'd been executed there in the temple, kind of in the act of offering their sacrifices to God. The idea, you know, it said their, their, their blood mingled with that of their sacrifices. And it seems that the question that's been asked to Jesus is, were these people executed in this way because they had done something terribly wrong? Had these people kind of suffered a consequence of some bad thing they had done in the past? Well, look at what Jesus says in verse 3. He says, no. He says this in verse 3. I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. You see, to get right to the point, were these poor Galileans worse than anyone else? Jesus says no. And to make the point more clearly, he compares them to some other people who desire, died in this kind of natural disaster as this tower fell over and 18 people died. They just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, kind of sitting under the wrong tower. Jesus is saying that those who were executed were no worse sinners than anyone else. 
They hadn't done anything more to deserve death than anyone else. And so there isn't a direct connection between our sin and our suffering. You can't say that someone got cancer because they did something uh, particularly bad. You can't say that that natural disaster happened as God's judgment on a particular people. But bad things happen to warn us to repent. That's what Jesus says here. Jesus gives us the reason why God allows pain and suffering. He says it comes as a warning. It comes as a wake-up call. A wake-up call that all is not well in our world. It's a warning to repent. It's a warning to turn around from your sin and say sorry to God for your sin and start paying attention to Him. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the great writer, puts it like this. He says, God whispers in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but He shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, pain and suffering, they are a warning to all humanity that things are not right, that this world is broken. Uh, Which person has ever won uh, the lottery and gone, God, where are you? I really need you. I really need your help right now, God. Like the person does when they get the news that all is not well. Pain and suffering is a warning to all humanity that things are not right, that this world is not broken. It is God's megaphone calling us back, saying, come back to me. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Come and trust in what I've already done for you. Because what God has done, he has done something that will bring an end to pain and suffering. See, God tells us in the Bible that there will be a day when pain and suffering will all be history, when God will right all the wrongs, where all things will be as they should be. And in the very last book of the, book of the Bible, we get this picture of what it'll be like. In Revelation chapter 7, we get a picture of the moment when all of God's people are gathered together in heaven and, and, and it paints the picture like this. Verse 16, Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat, for the Lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and wipe every tear from their eyes. It's a beautiful image, isn't it? It's a picture of comfort, a picture of intimacy, a picture of refreshment. And where is the pain? And where is the suffering? And where is the cancer? And where is the earthquake and the loneliness and the poverty and the the depression and the anxiety? Where is it? Well, it's all gone. It's all wiped away. God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And it's a beautiful image, isn't it? God has made everything right again. And it's a beautiful picture, but who are the people who are there? Who gets to be part of this new creation, this remade world? We'll look at verses 9 to 14. Verse 9, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And who's in this kind of multinational crowd of people wearing white? Well, verse 13, we kind of get this chance to eavesdrop in on a conversation that says this, Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, 
they are those who have, so these are they who have come out of the great tribulation they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb so who are they who will experience this new creation free from suffering and pain those who have been washed clean by Jesus' blood, those who have come to Jesus, repenting of their sin, trusting in his death for them, those who have been made clean through his blood shed for them on the cross, those who trust and follow Jesus, who who hand their lives over to him, he will lead them home. He will wipe every tear from their eye. He will take away all their sickness and their pain and do away with death forever. And God can do this because he is the suffering God. He can do this because when we meet Jesus, we we come face to face with the God who himself has suffered. You see, Jesus knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to go through grief and pain. He knows the anguish of being abandoned, of being humiliated, of being rejected. He knows personally the pain of being betrayed, of being treated unjustly, the profound injustice of being put to death for without being guilty he knows the injustice of taking the punishment for someone else the innocent condemned while the guilty go free see it is the same god who is offended and abused by our sin that sent his one and only son to die for that very sin you see the cross is where god is both all loving and all powerful The cross is where God is both all-loving and all-powerful, loving enough to forgive sin and powerful enough to bring an end to pain and suffering and death. And God has a good reason to allow pain and suffering to continue so that people like you and me might wake up and repent and turn to him. So we might turn around and trust in Jesus, have the penalty for our sin paid for, God has suffered so that we can be part of that multitude, gathered to God, free of death and pain and tears. You might be thinking, that's great. I can't wait. That is then, but this is now. I trust in Jesus, but I still suffer. Why doesn't God take away the pain now? If he saved me, why do I still have to go through this? What is God doing now in my pain if I've already repented and trust in Jesus? Now, these are real questions for us as Christians to wrestle with. Uh, 1 Peter provides some of the answers. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, uh, it says this. Verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in the praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, at times of pain and trial, we need to remember that God has a loving purpose to allow his children to continue to experience pain and suffering. God uses it, Peter says, to strengthen our faith. To strengthen our faith. He uses it to grow us in our trust in him. For his glory and his praise and his honour. Spurgeon, who was a great preacher, uh, who suffered much, wrote this. 
He said, I am sure I have derived more real benefit and permanent strength and growth in grace and every precious thing from the furnace of affliction than I have ever derived from prosperity. From the furnace of affliction, God has grown him, has given him great benefit, grown him in grace. God grows us through suffering as we lean on him, as we learn to lean on him rather than trust in ourselves. God doesn't promise to save us from suffering and trials and anyone who tells you that, that you know, being a Christian is going to mean that you're walking on easy street and that there's nothing difficult, uh, that is not true. God doesn't save us from suffering and trials but he promises to save us through it to grow us in our faith and our trust and dependence upon him. And when things seem to get too much, when we feel like we're being overwhelmed, we need to remember that we can take our pain, we can take our suffering, we can take it to God. We can take it to God because we have a God who has suffered. We have a God who knows what it is like to be lonely. We have a God who knows what it's like to experience pain and grief and loss. We have a God who is able to sympathize with our every weakness. We have a God who cares deeply for his children. We have a God who deeply desires for us to be there on the last day and he uses the hard times to strengthen our faith in him. He wants us to call on him when things become too much. And he will make everything right again on that final day. On that final resurrection morning. I'll finish with one last quote from uh, from J.C. Ryle. In the resurrection morning, we shall thank God for every storm. We may not see it now. But there will be a day where we will thank God for the trials he has brought. For the way it has refined and strengthened our faith in him so that we might see that resurrection morning. See, there is hope in suffering. Hope that will be realised when suffering is no more. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who has suffered in our place, that Jesus has died for us. Lord, we pray that we might bring our suffering to you, We pray that we might find hope in suffering as we see you use it to strengthen and grow and deepen our faith in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.